2 Chronicles chapter 6. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 439. Let me set the scene. David has died and Solomon is king. Solomon has this charge from David, his father, to build a temple. David had collected all the goods, collected all the stuff that was needed, and Solomon set about the task. And so he built his temple. And then, of course, all the artifacts that had been in the tabernacle, they were still living in a tent, the ark and the, the bronze altar and the altar of incense and the table of showbread and the lampstand and the laver for washing hands, they'd all been transferred to the new temple. And the Levites and the priests had done their job. And um, there's a great blast of trumpets. Um, and the people shout out, He is good. His love endures forever. And there were crowds of people there. All, all the big names from, from Israel were there. The tribal leaders, the, the Sanhedrin, the heads of families. Thousands of people were there. It was a big event. So big that Solomon had to build a pulpit, effectively, a platform so that everybody could see him. The temple of the Lord, we're told at the back end of chapter 5, was filled with a cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord filled the cloud. We're going to read the first 11 verses now of 2 Chronicles 6 and then we'll read Solomon's prayer later on. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have built a magnificent temple for you a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned round and blessed them. Then he said, Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built, so that my name might be there. Nor have I chosen anyone to be ruler over my people Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem for my name to be there. And I've chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood. He is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded, David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark in which the covenant of the Lord that he made with the house of Israel. That didn't sound right. Let's do it again. There I placed the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel. Dave. That is a fabulous piece of scripture. But Before we go on, let's pray.
Father God, thank you that once again that we can indeed be here. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who is the reason that we are here. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives within us as your children, uniting us and sealing us as family. And I pray that the words that come from my mouth would be as if they were from you and that we would leave here not only knowing that we have met with each other, but that we have met and heard from you, the living God. Amen. don't know if you can read that, but as some of you know, I like history, I like reading history, I like reflecting upon history, and those words at the bottom say, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it, yet those who do study history are doomed to stand by helplessly while everybody else repeats it. My reason for liking history is, as I said, I like history. Young me says that's one of the reasons she thinks I'm back from the 17th century, because I should be locked up in a cell in a monastery somewhere. And history is important, though, not only to learn the lessons from it, but also as Christians, because the Bible shows how God has acted in human history, does it not? I wonder if anybody here remembers that five years ago we looked at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where God responds to the prayers of dedication we have before us tonight. So let's have a brief recap of that amazing chapter of scripture in chapter 7. Chapter 7 in the first three verses. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. That was one of the many great wow moments of the Old Testament the time when the glory of the Lord came down like fire and filled the temple to overflowing and the people falling down in worship of a great God who was their God. And this was followed by a great scene of abundantly joyful sacrificial worship to this God. That must have been some prayer of Solomon's, mustn't it? Well, that's where we are tonight. We go back to looking at those prayers. Not in an exhaustive way, you'll probably be very glad to know, but to discover together what we can learn about God and his relationship with those who are is, and seeing how this is relevant to us some 3,000 years later. During that intervening period between having prayed and the, and the, uh, the, the Lord coming down, I wonder if Solomon had wrestled in his mind over what he had prayed. So let's wrestle together now in these prayers of his, albeit briefly. 
This is a key passage, if you like, a link, if you like, between the covenant that God made with Solomon's father David, including the building of a house of God, the temple, and the glory of the Lord filling the temple in 2 Chronicles 7. This reflects, I think, the necessity and vitality of prayer and the unfolding of God's will for all humanity. The story is also regaled in 1 Kings 8, but with some nuance, as you may well expect. Down through history, the Bible reveals that God has made covenants with humanity. And a covenant is an important way to describe the progress of the relationship between God and humanity through the biblical story. A covenant at the time of the Old Testament was a solemn commitment between the two parties to fulfill all the promises and obligations of that particular covenant. Covenants were common in all kinds of life and were not just between God and humanity. And the idea comes from the sort of agreement commonly entered into in an ancient area around Israel between a high king and perhaps a king who was a clan chief. And it's easy to see how a covenant is a good way to describe the relationship between God and humanity. A God who promises to protect and help the human with faithfulness and the human who promises to worship and honour God with faith. And the covenants between God and humanity have several things about them regarding this relationship. In these relationships between God and humanity, in these covenants rather, God always took the initiative. Sometimes, as with Abraham, it was by a complete surprise to Abraham. And with Noah, it was through obedience, wasn't it? And God always waited for a response from those he was engaging with. God doesn't coerce or force, but he waits for humanity to take up the responsibility of replying and acquiescing to his covenantal promises through obedience, faithfulness and worship. There are several covenants going through the Old Testament. There's the Garden of Eden, There's the covenants made in history with Adam, Noah, Abraham. But we'll skip over those and go forward to the covenant between God and Moses before going into his covenant with Solomon's father, David. The Mosaic covenant, well, covenant with Moses. So why do we look at this first? We do so because there is a connection between that covenant and the prayer of Solomon we're looking at tonight. Indeed, the very Ark of the Covenant contained the two tablets of stone in which the the Ten Commandments were inscribed. And Charles Spurgeon commented, one is struck with the fact that the language of Solomon is far from new and is full of quotations from the Pentateuch where the Mosaic Covenant is fully explained some of which are almost word for word. So that's why we're going and having a quick look at the Mosaic Covenant. This covenant is between God and humanity, in this case with the particular nation of Israel. It commences with the stipulation, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, 
then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. And this covenant was to Israel in order that those who believed God's promise could know how to live rightly. Israel's task was to bring the knowledge of God to all the world, you may remember, so that blessing might come to all humanity through them. In this, however, they were to fail. And it was only when Jesus came as the perfectly obedient Israelite was it possible that the world would be blessed. And the Mosaic Covenant covered three areas of life. The commandments were given so they would know how to relate socially to God correctly. The uh, judgments were given in order that they could relate uh, socially to each other properly. And the decrees dictated their religious life so that God could be approached by humanity on God's terms. And this covenant was never as a means by which humanity could achieve salvation with God. It was given so that they could realise the helplessness of their own efforts and their need of God's help, as well as expressing their devotion to the Lord. Yet they still failed to bring blessing to other people. And that that law was only a protective fence until the promised Messiah Jesus came when humanity could be made right with God through faith. Now we go on to something much more in the Davidic covenant. Now we fast forward to this covenant which was in place as Solomon dedicates the temple to God and is mentioned here. This covenant that God made with David, Solomon's father. And three great things were promised. There would be a land forever. There would be a dynasty without end. And there would be a perpetual kingdom. And through these covenants, we see a God who is willing to interact with his creation and bless it. When first century Christians, such as the Apostle Paul and Peter and John, checked and thought over all the events surrounding the life of Jesus Christ, they searched their scriptures, which are our Old Testament. It was as God, the Holy Spirit, illuminated their minds that they wrote down and passed on the whole range of Old Testament promises which were fulfilled in God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, and the world's hope. That's why it's important for us as 21st century Christian disciples to read our Old Testament as well as the New. I know some Christians who never read the Old Testament. They soon change their minds. I won't go into the details. Fingernails are pulled. (coughs) No, not really. Because it's by reading the Old Testament New light is shed upon our own understanding of the New Testament, isn't it? And one of the fundamentals of understanding the Bible is to let the Bible interpret the Bible, isn't it? There is one more covenant of God which we are to look at tonight, but we'll see through that shortly. We press on with these prayers of Solomon. There are three prayers here. Verses 1 and 2 are the opening words of praise to God. 
Then first, verses 4 to 11 are the second prayers. Then the third prayer is in verses 16 to 41. We won't go into any great detail. I'm sure you will appreciate and be glad about. And we'll get to about verse 21, I think, on this occasion. But with a very general overview, let's look together and see what we can learn together from the wise man Solomon, the Solomon who asked for wisdom as his gift from God. So he might know a thing or two about prayer, mightn't he? Charles Spurgeon again said, It is worthy of remark concerning this prayer that it is as full and comprehensive as if it were meant to be the summary of all future prayers offered in the temple. So we go on. Verses 1 and 2. Here Solomon acknowledges God's presence in the cloud. The cloud of God's glory has a long association with his presence. Solomon knew that the presence of the cloud meant that God dwelt in the temple in a special way. It was to be a special place to come to and meet with God. It was symbolic of God living with his people. Verses 3 to 9, Solomon blessed the people and blesses God. Here we see that Solomon blessed the people and blesses God. Solomon knew, affirmed and recognised that the completion of the temple was the fulfilment of the plan of God. It wasn't any plan of Solomon or David. It was God's plan. David and Solomon were merely the human instruments. They were God's arms and legs and mouthpieces, but the work was affirmed by Solomon to be God's alone. How are we doing when it comes to our work for God like that? God's actions or work have confirmed his words, his promises. God's hands were at work building the temple as he guided and strengthened the human workers who contributed themselves to its construction. Solomon recounts how their ancestors had escaped from Egypt in the Exodus 500 years earlier. This shows the importance to the people of Israel at the time. Their minds were singing, if the Lord can bring us out of Egypt and rescue us, he will help us establish ourselves as a nation and build this temple in order to worship him and to worship him alone. God is faithful to his promises. Down through the ages, God has been faithful and keeping his part of the covenants that he made with people. Later when we come to conclude, we will see together briefly the promises of God for us as Christians today. Almost 3,000 years later, after this prayer of Solomon. And Solomon now issues a statement concerning his father, David, that great and mighty king who had a great name. Why was David not to build it? Though David, the mighty king, had done extensive preparations for it, he didn't actually complete it. This completion was left for his son Solomon. Why? Why? Because of God's idea of rest for his king and his people. 
David had fought many wars and battles. It was part of his rest in God that he wasn't to build the temple. Solomon was spared the emotional turmoil of war so he could dedicate his energies to building the temple or the house of God. And now verse 10 and 11. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David my father and now I sit on the throne of Israel just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel. And with verses 10 and 11, we see that Solomon presents the finished temple to God. Solomon recognised that being the successor of his father David to the throne of Israel was of great significance. He then places the Ark of the Covenant in its resting place in the temple. The Ark of the Covenant was a physical representation of God's promised presence with his people, the nation of Israel. It was a wooden chest clad with gold containing the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. And Solomon speaks of a God who fulfilled with his hands what he had spoken with his voice. God had said what he was going to do and then he went and did it. How are we doing as we come to worship our Lord as our work, as our leisure, as we come up here on a Sunday? What are our attitudes behind the songs that we sing? or the praise that we pray, or as we listen to the people who are up here. Are we workers primarily, and then we flick a switch to some engage some kind of worship mode? As we come here on a Sunday? Or do we consider ourselves God worshippers as we work, as we play, as we go about the business of daily life? God wants worshippers before workers, doesn't he? In God's mind, the only acceptable workers are those who have learnt the art of worship. Do you consider all you do, and when I say you, I'm speaking to myself as well, do we consider all that we do as acts of worship to God? Everything we do because that is the kind of people God wants and desires, is it not? The kind of people who worship him fully in spirit and in truth and in all aspects of life, not just for a couple of hours on a Sunday. To read now Solomon's prayer. It's a fairly long prayer, but I'm a firm advocate of reading the word of God even at length because it's important we get the whole thing together. Picture the scene. Solomon has dealt with the, the first bit that Dave's talked to us about. Then he spreads out his arm to heaven and brings us this prayer. You may want to just imagine yourself there among the crowd of Israelites and just close your eyes and listen. You may want to look at the word of God that's in front of you and make sure I get it right. But listen to God's word. 
Here is Solomon praying his prayer. And we pick it up in verse 14. And he said, Solomon said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me according to my law as you have done. And now, Lord, to the God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. But will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built. Yes, Lord my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open towards this temple day and night. This place of which you said that you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplications of your servants and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. When anyone wrongs their neighbour and is required to take an oath and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty and bringing down on their heads what they have done and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you and when they turn back and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave them and their ancestors. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you and when they pray towards this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land that you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when enemies besiege them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of their afflictions and pains and spreading out their hands towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know the human heart so that they will fear you and walk in obedience to you all the time they live in the land that you gave our ancestors. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people of Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel. And may know that this house that I have built bears your name. 
when your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, when they pray to you towards this city that you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. When they sin against you, there's no one that doesn't sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity, where they were taken and pray towards the land that you gave their ancestors, towards the city you have chosen and towards the temple that I have built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place. Hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Now arise, Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to David, your servant. And I'm sure he said, Amen. That's an amazing piece of scripture, isn't it? So we continue. You may well be relieved to know that we're only going to go as far as verse 21 tonight. I can hear the sighs from here, including my old troublemaker Mary. Here in verses 12 to 14, we see that Solomon stands before the altar of the Lord. Solomon did not dedicate the temple from within the temple itself, because that would have been the wrong place. That was where only the priests and the high priest could go. So Solomon stands outside, arms raised up so that the throngs of people could see him, built on a podium specially designed for him. And before the altar, he spreads out his hands in an act of symbolism, reaching out towards heaven in a gesture of surrender, openness and ready reception to receive. Here Solomon recognises that God was and is completely unique in all facets of existence and of being and he expresses it. The false and pretend gods of the nations around Israel could not compare in any way to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And then in 15 to 17, Solomon recognises God as the maker and keeper of promises. Solomon now commences to thankfully praise God because God has always kept his promises that he has made in the past. Have you done that in your prayer life? Speaking out thanks to God for what God has done for you in the past? Fulfilling his promises to you? Solomon continues and calls upon God to keep the promises that he has now made. We are, as his people, to take on board God's promises, take them on in heart, to heart and faith, and then boldly and reverently call upon him to fulfil those promises. Again, is that part of our prayer life? 
God promises and we are to appropriate those promises, taking hold of them, proclaim them, take them on board in our life by faith, knowing that God fulfills the promises that he makes to us who are his people, doesn't he? Wow. And then in verses 18 to 21, Solomon asks God to dwell in this place and honour all those who seek him there. Not just the people of Israel, but those who have heard about Yahweh from their surrounding nations and come. The Pharisees of Jesus' time obviously forgot that little bit, which is why Jesus got upset. And now Solomon asks a question. How often have you and I asked God questions as we pray, rather than just listing off our demands? God would reside in the temple, but not to the exclusion of all other places. While God would have a special presence in the temple, he would not be restricted to it. Solomon asks that God listen to his people as they pray and worship in this temple dedicated to him. And when God hears the prayers made in the temple, Solomon implores that he would forgive his people and probably the greatest answer to prayer that they could expect, the forgiveness of their sins. So we'll start now to conclude after such a prayer. How can we? What are the challenges and comforts we have seen from this passage of Scripture? This temple that was built by Solomon was destroyed about 400 years later by the Babylonians when they carted Israel off into exile. It's long gone now. What about David's covenant though? Was that ever fulfilled? Remember David's covenant as we looked at it briefly earlier on? We can say that it has indeed been fulfilled. It was fulfilled gloriously in the coming of God in the man Jesus Christ when the great God did indeed come as a human being in the person we know as Jesus. It is historical fact that there was a person called Jesus. Richard Dawkins doesn't talk about Jesus. Most of the new atheists don't talk about Jesus. So that leaves us to talk about Jesus to them, doesn't it? Or perhaps that's just me. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see that the Solomon's birth was predicted as David's successor to the throne, with his role being to establish David's throne forever. And we see this link to the man Jesus Christ through the genealogies to both Joseph, who had a legal right to King David's throne, and also to Jesus' mother Mary, who had a blood right to King David's throne. And the land is the whole world, now potentially the sphere of the rule of Jesus. The dynasty or dynasty was through Solomon eventually to be to the eternal son Jesus. The kingdom is the kingdom of God now established and ever growing in the world in which we live. All of this was to fulfill, was fulfilled gloriously in the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah, the Saviour. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human. This is basic Christian discipleship when I was being dragged up. 
My discipleship consisted of going read a chapter of Knowing God and Mere Christianity, come back and discuss it. Thank you. And discipleship's almost a dirty word in the church these days, isn't it? person becomes a new Christian, well, we'll farm them off to the home group. But we need one-to-one personal discipleship. But I digress. And this Jesus Christ was not just for the Jews, but for all people of every race and language. Really, that should make us go wow in awe of our God, shouldn't it? Our God is the God of history, and he has stepped into history as a human being. And we have the new covenant. We see all this in the new covenant. There's four features of this covenant. There's regeneration. God will write his law on the hearts of people. There's restoration. God will be their God and they will be God's people. There's the promised Holy Spirit. God will live within his people and they will be led by him. There is justification. That means sins will be forgiven, removed and remembered no more under the terms of this new covenant. And it is only sealed through the perfect sacrifice of the God-man Jesus on the cross, which we look at at Easter. Jesus' death ensures the truth of this new covenant. His death pays the penalty of the sins of all people. And that's why we are to say yes to God and his new covenant with us. This new covenant can be contrasted with the old covenant. The old covenant, which we call the Mosaic covenant, that we looked at earlier. And it can be done because this new covenant finalizes and makes possible what that Mosaic covenant could only point towards. The follower of God living in a harmonious, righteous life conforming to God's holy character. Or is that my own, is that, am I alone in that observation? And Solomon asks in verse 18, but will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built? In Solomon's direct context, he was talking about the temple which he was dedicating to God. In the overall context of the Bible and of history, however, God did indeed come and dwell on earth. Not just with humans, but to be a human. He was Jesus Christ, the man who was fully God and fully human. God keeps his promises and Jesus Christ is evidence of this. Oh, that is so easy to forget when we're undergoing the trials of life, isn't it? I'm not the only one with memory problems like that, surely. And in what way does God keep his promises to us today? Very quickly. So firstly, by faith Jesus is praying for us. Isn't that a good reminder? God the Son, 100% human, 100% God, Jesus Christ is making intercessions for us. He knows our troubles and he feels our cares and he knows what we're going through. And I still find that simply amazing. And how, oh, how easily we forget, don't we? By faith, he will come to us. Have you ever felt like 
God is far away. Again, am I the only person who has experienced these sort of things? Well, you aren't alone. Solomon's father, David, often felt that God was far away and unconcerned with his life. Just a cursory look in the Psalms will tell you that. However, David also knew that God would ultimately rescue him from his troubles and his calamities and his challenges. And Jesus always comes to us through difficult times. Not always in the time that we want him, but in the time that is perfect to him. Yes, as though he he may not come in the time we think, because he knows when it is best for him to come, doesn't he? By faith, he will help us grow. Once when his disciples were in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, you may remember, Jesus came to them for a little stroll on the water. And the purpose of this incident was to show that Jesus would be leaving them soon, so they had to learn to trust in him when he wasn't physically present with them. And one of those uh, disciples later on in life, the uh, Apostle Peter wrote, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. How are you growing as a follower of Jesus? Not only in your knowledge, but also in your transformation and development of your gifting. As we are being transformed by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, into the image of God, the Son, Jesus Christ, it is to the praise and glory of God the Father. Our transformation into that image of Jesus reveals God at work. By faith, he will see us through. Again, when the disciples were in the storm, Jesus said, come. And Peter, being the ever-impetuous, strode out and went with him. This must have surely encouraged the other disciples. For upon Jesus, seeing Jesus' power, they worshipped him. I don't know what troubles you are undergoing uh, temporarily tonight, but I do know that Jesus will see you through them. For various reasons in 2015, for young me and I, it was looking out to be uh, our, uh, Ana, uh, Annas Horribilis. Yet it soon became our Annas Mirabilis. Instead, as we saw God work each day throughout the year, didn't he, young me? And by faith you have salvation. If you are trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation, then you have it. By faith, Jesus is praying for you, will come to you, grow you, and help you through troubles. By being obedient to God, you and I are showing others our salvation and showing that faith is not blind and inactive, but rather that it is alive and active. We can be obedient to him by relying on his strength and his wisdom. We are to be faithful to God and we are to show it by being obedient to him and getting on with the work that we've been given to do, just as Solomon was in getting the temple completed. Is the work that you do for God worship or is your worship work? And as we go tonight, let us remember that God keeps his promises. He is listening to your prayers 
And he wants to hear your voice. He wants us to be in a dynamic, moment-by-moment relationship with himself. This great God whom we claim to worship and love wants you and I to be actively obedient to him in all facets of our life. Our work, our play, our home life, our conversations, our communications, our worship and our relationships. And if you're struggling in any particular area, get trusted others to pray for you and to hold you accountable. Again, that's part of discipleship. That's part of following and loving God. And I'm very pleased for the people who, shall I say, try to do that with me. Our verse for the year as a church, as you are probably well aware, is Psalm 105, verse 4. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. That was what Solomon did in the building of the temple. That is what we are to do as well, as I am equally sure you are aware. Not only the church here as a whole, but as individual followers of Jesus Christ. If we try to do things in our own strength, we'll fail. If we do it in the strength of the God we proclaim to love, worship, serve and glorify, then we can, because all glory and honour will go to him and him alone. As we go, are we ready in some way to tell others about this great God we claim is great and we sing here in this fabulous building of our love and our service? Are we ready to enable and encourage each other in the faith and not just our friends and our favourites in some way as we see need? Are we actively engaging with the great God throughout each day, worshipping him in all aspects of our life and letting him have dominion over every aspect of our lives as we put our trust fully in him and in all aspects of life? We can do it if we're using his power, can't we? which is our verse of the year. We're to be faithful to God and we're to show it by being obedient to him and getting on with the work that he has given each of us to do just as Solomon was in getting the job done here. And as a general observation, as I talk to people and as I observe people, most of the church is scared of that word evangelism. Or am I alone again in that observation? We're not all to be evangelists like the Billy Grahams or the Bruce Kitchings of this world. But we are to tell and show others about the God we claim to love and we are in covenant with. Let's go wow the world, all of it, including our little corner here for God with the news of our God. The God who is outside of time, who stepped down into time, into human history in order that humanity could choose to follow him or not, to be his children or not. Let's keep our eyes fixed firmly on our God as we seek to enable and encourage, not just as a church body, but also as individuals to all others that we meet. We are the church on the hill. Now, I haven't said this before, But shortly after this building was completed and dedicated, I had a dream. And in that dream, I saw the church sliding down the hill and crumbling on its way. 
I know how much prayer went into all aspects of this church. Let's not allow the church to slide down the hill crumbling. Let us both as a church and as individuals look to the Lord and his strength seeking his face. Let's go out wowing God for for God together, heeding his advice, seeking his wisdom and worshipping him alone in all facets of life. Are you tired and in need of comfort from all the challenges you're having to endure? Keep your eyes on God and allow him to embrace you, comfort you and lift you up. Remember that he is for you. He lives within you and you are his child. Are you too comfortable? Are you in need of a challenge to stop you becoming complacent? Ask God to help you overcome to empower you and seek his face and wisdom. Ask for his strength to help you. Do what he has asked you to do. This God that we follow comforts us in our challenges and challenges us in our comfort. We have an amazingly glorious God, don't we? Father, once again, we thank you for this, your written word. I pray that through all aspects of this evening you are glorified and honoured in each person here. May your glory and your honour be our chief concern in all aspects of our life. Holy Spirit, remind us of how faithful God the Father is when we are slipping. May May we go from here knowing that you love us so much that we can tell at least one other people this week the good news that we have. And we ask this, Father, once again through the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, unifies us as one, and seals us as your children. Amen.